I think it's summertime. It doesn't really feel like it this morning. I almost put on a flannel. Uh, but it's almost summertime, and for summertime for me, what's that meant throughout my whole life is road trips. Road trips also mean for me playlist, and there's something about listening to a playlist that you can just sing along to, uh, depending on who's with you, right? Like I, I've 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 tore up some asphalt between here and Cisco, Texas, where my grandma lives, about an hour and a half west of here. I've ridden that that stretch many times. And many different scenarios, me by myself, listening to something, belting it out, right? Late nights coming back. Uh, but then there was a season where it was me and Kaylin. And then we're singing stuff that now we mutually enjoy because we don't, we don't come from similar backgrounds. And so she comes to this real alt-rock side. And I'm like, no, thank you. And, you know, you have to kind of compromise, right? That's what all of this. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but then you're listening to that on the way. But now i got three kids. And, uh, you know, really none of our music works that well with them, <laughs> just to be honest. Uh, but then we find some things that we all like and we can all belt out, right? And then you get this hodgepodge, hodgepodge collection of random things, you know, where they're singing wonderful, beautiful tunes to Jesus. And then, you know, also anthem TNT, right? You know, just the kids get it. It's got classic rock in their bones. It's my dad's fault, not theirs. All to say, I love road trips and playlist on road trips. This morning, Psalm 31, 131, is in a psalm of ascent. What you should know about that title is that these are the playlists of the Israelites pilgrimaging to the temple annually. That chunk, about 120 to 134, is, is Songs of Ascent, and this is their playlist. This is what they would sing while they're walking from wherever they live up to the temple, and they would sing and sing these songs as they make their trek to worship the Lord. So with that context, I want you to see this with me. As I said last week, as we walked through Psalms, this is not necessarily to dissect the Psalms, explain everything about the Psalms. This is about contemplating, meditating on these Psalms and allowing them to form us, to shape us. So let's not, let's not come to this like it's not poetry, it's poetry. Let's not come for this just thinking, all right, What's the three bullet points from this psalm that can get me through this week? But how is this God's poetry going to shape me and form me? What, how, how should it change how I think about some things? How should it change how I feel about some things? How will it change what I love? So if you have your Bible, Psalm 131. If you don't have a Bible, there, there's one underneath a chair in front of you, around you. If you don't have a Bible at all, take that with you. And read Psalm 131 a few times this week. Verse verse. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Quick note. This is about genuine humility. This isn't about laziness disguised as humility, right? So you can't use that, that last half as like your excuse, to like, 
I don't really do anything. Don't use this as an out-of-context excuse. There's such a thing as godly ambition and joyful humility, and they're not mutually exclusive. In Jesus, they work out perfectly. And as people, they can also work out where you have godly ambition and you also have joyful humility. But as I look at this, I think, I don't know if I can pray this. Is this true for me? Those first two lines? Is this true for you? I, I want this to be my heart. And my question is, how is David here? How is this his prayer? How is he at this point? And he doesn't reveal into the next two verses how he got here, but he's here. And he says to the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, he says, I'm not proud, not self-sufficient, not trusting myself, not jealous, not looking down on others, not arrogant, not self-righteous, not attempting the impossible. I think this feels foreign, if we're a little bit honest. We know too well our pride, our self-righteousness, arrogant eyes that look down on others. And if we don't, know this, it's probably because you're blind, your pride has blinded you to your pride. That's a massive blind spot that you don't see. Where we're not that bad, right? We're at at least not like Karen, whoever that is. But that's an arrogant heart. And this psalm digs into our hearts, exposes our souls, exposes our, our trust in ourselves but leads us to humble ourselves and find peaceful, content hearts. I owe a lot of insights to David Pallison on this psalm. Here's what he poignantly writes on this verse regarding pride. He says, pride is not just about me, it's also about you. I must look down on you in some way. I must establish my superiority in some way. Some people wear their arrogance and superiority openly and even boast of their boasting. But our absorption in judgmental opinions runs very deep. Pride says, I'm right in myself. Haughty eyes say, I'm right compared to you. Have you ever noticed that even people who feel lousy about themselves are judgmental towards others? When you feel inferior to others, you don't admire and respect them or treat them with merciful consideration. Instead, you envy hate, nitpick, grumble, and criticize. Even self-belittling tendencies, low self-esteem, self-pity, self-hatred, timidity, fearfulness, diffidence, fears of failure and rejection. Fundamentally, all of that, he says, finally express pride failing, pride intimidated, and pride despairing. Such pride, even when much battered, still finds someone else to look down on. It is no accident that the church fathers discuss fear of man as a subset of pride when they contemplated the seven deadly sins besetting every soul. Our eyes are haughty, lifted up, looking down on others. And that's not all. 
He says we get involved with things too great, too wondrous. Meaning we, we attempt the impossible. Tom Cruise. And we also try to know everything and have an opinion on everything. We dismiss what the Lord says. We're talking about that too great, too wondrous. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The hidden things belong to the Lord our God. But the real veiled things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. We're not content with, being, with, with what's been revealed. We have to know all the things. We want to know the hidden things. We know all the secret things. And we get involved in things too great for us. Become preoccupied with greatness, with accomplishments. So we question God's plans and purposes. We, we want to know the why behind everything. Behind everything he does, we know why. Even though he hasn't revealed it. And with, with a phone in your hand, with that access to unlimited information, we've arrogantly begun to function as if we're not limited. We've begun to function as if we're not creatures with limits. Because we have this access, we can act infinite, but that's the same issue with our first parents, Adam and Eve, trying to erase the distinction between creator and creature, trying to say, no, 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 we haven't been created by you. We'll step up and we know what's best. We have the best plan. We, we, we know more than you and we know better than you. So this psalm digs, hopefully it is now, just digging into our, our self-destructive problem, and that's our arrogant self-will. In the past, I, I've done what's called anti-psalms, and I learned that from David Pallison, and so I didn't even create one for this because he already has, so here it is. Listen carefully. This is inverse of Psalm 31. What it, what it would be, not be humble, but okay. Self, my heart is proud. I'm absorbed in myself. I mean, just the, the reference that who is he speaking to is how arrogant someone is, right? I'm not speaking to God, I'm speaking to myself. Myself is, is the one that I need to talk to. Myself is the one I need to appeal to. My heart is proud, I'm absorbed in myself. When my eyes are haughty, I look down on other people. And I chase after things too great and too difficult for me. So, of course, I'm noisy and restless inside. It comes naturally. Like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap. Like a hungry infant. I'm restless with my demands and worries. I scatter my hopes onto anything and everybody all the time. And if you've been around enough, you know that if you idolize a person or put your hope on a bunch of people, you end up demonizing them because they're going to fail you at some point. And so your scattered hopes become scattered realities because it's not in the Lord, it's in yourself, it's in whatever. And so... 
if David is this raw and honest, can, can we be as well? Allow this to expose our arrogance, our noisy souls, our misplaced hope. Let's let David, let's let the Holy Spirit lead us to humility and peace and contentment. So back to verse 1, but adding verse 2. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead... I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. You feel the serenity, the calmness, the, the still lake at dawn, the quiet baby wrestling and not wrestling, resting snuggling in his mother's arms. This is David's soul. That's what he's speaking of, that kind of calmness, that kind of stillness, that kind of contentment. Not, not busy, not frenetic, not pacing, not driven by all the anxieties in your mind, not noisy with selfish ambition, not loud with the constant comparison of others, not noisy with anger and war against the Lord and war against the Lord's will. Not busy with deciding or trying to create an opinion upon everything. Not busy with building our own righteousness or performing righteousness to cover all our insecurities. Not noisy, but quiet. Not loud, not clanging, but calm. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Shh. He shushed his soul. Shh. Calm down. Be quiet. Settle. Be still. This imagery is powerful. My soul is like a weaned child with its mother, resting, content, peaceful, trusting. Now, think about this. Think about the pilgrimage. I told you they were going, and in my imagination at the least, I, I made some, I connected some dots to get here, but I can just imagine David first time or first few times doing the ascent up to the temple and he's looking around because what is he doing? He's walking with his people. He's walking with the people from his city. And it's kind of like going to a big basketball game or a big baseball game, right? Where you kind of unload out of the train or you load for how, wherever you got there and you, getting to that point was a big thing. You carpooled, you all got together, you found a spot or you took the TRE, whatever, and you got there, right? And you saw other people wearing the caps. You're like, yeah, we're, we're going to the same thing, huh? Yeah. And then you get to like the, the center and then you're all like trekking in. You're like everyone around, like all these people are going to the same thing. That's what's happening with this pilgrimage. And as he's looking around, I can imagine he's looking at what? Kids. Kids all around him. Babies with their mothers. And what does he see? And that's what he's saying. As we're walking up 
to Jerusalem, calm your soul, quiet your soul, look to where we're going, put your hope there. Put your hope in the Lord, now and forever. He's been weaned. Just like those kids, David's been weaned. Not, not restless, not kicking, not squirming, not moaning. He's gone through the difficult process that kids have to do and that Christians have to do. And what's that? Weaning off of self-trust. Weaning off of self-focus. And rather, just like the Psalms are, Psalms are very real about our problems, very real about pain, but you know what they are? They're not pain-centric. They're not suffering-centric. They're not sin-centric. Every psalm is theocentric. It'll be, it'll be honest about your real life, but it's going to say, the center is God. Because to put your emotions as a center is like to mess up the first bur- button of a shirt, right? You get a little off and like everything's off. It's like, wait, who made this shirt two inches longer on the right side? What's happening here, right? But if God is the center, you button at the right spot and everything else falls in line. And so we wean off our self-trust. We wean off our self-focus and we find contentment in our Lord. Like a mother. Now, this is pe- peaceful. The fruit of what's happened, but the, the, the process to get there is not. The process to peace, contentment, is a war. It's a fight, right? A weaned child is content, peaceful. A weaning child is screaming, fighting, crying, right? Just kidding. Not understanding. It wasn't crying. It wasn't crying. It was a joke. But that's what a weaning child is like. You hear them regularly on Sundays. I love them. Stay in here. I want them to be here, just so I'm very clear. But that's what they're like. Not understanding what's being taken away from them, not understanding the big picture, right? Reaching for his mom as daddy carries him away to eat pureed peas. Like, yeah, it's terrible. But it's also terrible. It's also a fight. It's also difficult to wean off self-focus and self-reliance and that hubris, that arrogance that wants to be right and wants to be above other people and only feels settled in your soul when you can look at other people and say, I'm doing better than them. That's where my contentment comes from. So what the psalm is doing is leading us to join in and calm and quiet our own souls. To humble ourselves. To learn contentment. To learn self-control. Pallison again. Talking about what does this look like. He says, from God's side, we escape ourselves by being loved by Jesus Christ. Through the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit himself. And then from our side, We escape ourselves by learning a lifestyle of intelligent repentance, genuine faith, and specific obedience. 
And we'll consider this as David reveals the reason in verse 3. He's, we moved from the result in verse 1 to the process in verse 2, but now here's the reason in verse 3. So again, reread the first two verses, and let's add the third. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, people of God, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. So from our side, we escape this haughtiness, this anxiety, this furious activity of worries inside by putting our hope in the Lord. That's the broad term, but those three things are the specific actions, is that we would intelligently repent, that we would turn from our arrogance, our self-righteousness, turn from that comparison game, turn from that looking down on others, turn from, oh, I'm insecure, and so I'm still going to look down on others so I feel good. And in that turn, we turn to the Lord in genuine faith and specific obedience. David has calmed his noisy, arrogant soul by hoping in the Lord. What do I mean by that? By snuggling with the Father. That's what I mean. I think putting the hope in the Lord can sound to you, as I'm saying it, very broad and non-actionable. Actionable is this, snuggle with your Father. He's learned contentment through relationship. Specifically, relationship with the Father. Now, if you question me, what do you mean by Father? It's the Lord here in this verse. It's the title is the Lord. And then he talks about a mother. What, why, how did you bring Father into this thing? Well, the new covenant with Jesus reveals more specifically the Godhead. And when the New Testament authors use the name Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh, from the Old Testament, they are normally speaking of the first member of the Trinity, the Father. The Father. Where we read the Old Testament now and normally have the Father in mind. When you see God or you see Lord, that's, that's what Paul does. That's what the writer of Hebrews does. Hebrews 1 one says, long ago, God, the Father, spoke to the ancestors by the prophets at different times and different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God, the Father, has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. And then we saw that in Ephesians 1, where God, the Father, uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So how do we learn to calm, how do we calm and quiet our souls? By turning to and snuggling with the Father through the work of the Son and by the power of the Spirit, through relationship. Like you can, you can go to your Father because of Jesus. You can speak boldly to Him knowing that He's present with you because of the Spirit. Wherever you're at, this is not seven tips 
to less anxiety. This is a relationship that calms you. Enya's okay. Brown noise is all right. Going to the beach and hearing waves, cool. That's the best tips I could think of, I'm sorry. Just wanted to throw Enya out there, really. That's what I wanted. But if you really want that calmness, where you're not trying to perform your own righteousness, where you're not trying to always battle with people, or you're just, maybe you don't do a lot externally, but it's all internally. All that anxiety inside, thinking about, oh, what do they think about me? Do they like me? How do they think about that conversation we just had? All that fear of man stuff. Or that hubris that I know, I know more than these people. I know more than, what, what I have better thoughts, have better wisdom. Turning would be saying, hey, I'm a creature, not the creator. I'm not the righteous one. Second Chronicles, you know what the leaders do in Second Chronicles? They humble themselves before the Lord and they say, the Lord is righteous. Not, not we're righteous. No, look at us. Look how we're, we, we've built uh, our identity on our job. Like we have this job righteous. So we really work hard. Ha. Oh, or we're really good at mission. We really actually take things seriously. Ha, look at us. The self Oh, look, I have a great family. I do well with my family. Look at my righteousness. I'm a, I got this dad righteousness. I do it better than other dads. All this, this, what is going on here? It is a restless soul, like Augustine said, that won't find rest until you find it in Jesus. Meaning, <laughs> just stay with me. You're a child of the Father that can find calmness and quietness in your soul because the Son of the Father found torment on earth. Because he gave of his life, you can know that peace. Because if he gave of himself to you, Tim Keller writes, a nursing child held by its mother is highly aware of the milk she can offer and will squirm and cry if denied. A child who has been weaned, however, and no longer nurses is content to be with its mother. Hear this. Enjoying her closeness and love without wanting anything else. I said, snuggle up with your father to be with him, not snuggle up with them to get something from him. You know the times you've done that with your parents, right? Like, hey, you, got, you need some extra help right now? There's a lot of dishes. Let me help you. And they're like, ooh, all right, okay. And then two minutes later, like, oh, that's why. There it is. That's what you wanted, right? But no longer consumed, no longer obsessed with the product or the thing that the mom can give the baby, but just content and enjoying mom. That's what I mean. Not obsessed, focused on what he can give you, what he can do for you, but to be with him. 
communion with the Father weans our pride. Looking to Jesus weans our self-righteousness. And resting, resting like a babe with a father, resting in the Father weans our noisy, anxious hearts. And so, if that's the truth, you must consider how will you make this psalm yours? So three questions. I've already told you what they are. But just to pose them at you so you have to think about it. What is the Father calling you to intelligently repent of now? You won't make much traction in this in calming your soul if you don't understand what's all the racket going on in there. Second, what is the Father calling you to believe right now? To put what, what trust in him, what would that look like? What is he calling you to, to believe about him? To believe him, to take him at his word. What? Maybe it's an aspect of his character that you've disregarded, you've ignored, you've forgotten. You don't think he's generous anymore. Maybe something about his character. Maybe believe the work of the Son for you. That you don't have to build your own righteousness. It's been gifted to you. Maybe it's believing in the work of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit with you. But it tells me to repent and then this faith in God and then specifically obey. What is the Father calling you to specifically obey right now? To say, to think, to do. Words, actions, what is he calling you to do? And that's not the answer to Psalm 131. That's, that's a life as a Christian. This is our lifestyle. Of repenting when we see, when we're convicted by the Spirit, turning to Lord, believing Him, following Him. And knowing we're going to hit our heads, we're going to fall, we're going to sin, we're going to stumble, and His grace superabounds. When I, when I consider this, I think about how I talk to my kids sometimes, to my sons sometimes. Sometimes I tell them, son, you're, you're trying to be, you're trying to be a dad. And you're not a dad. And you need a dad. And when you act like you're the dad, things don't go well for you, right? The same thing I say to my kids, I now say to myself. Soul, you're not the dad here. You're not the, the righteous one. And when you act like you're the dad here, when you act like you're the one in control, when you're the one that is utmost, then you're functioning like you don't have a dad and you need a dad, Ryan. You need a dad. 
And you have one. And you have one in the Father. One of my favorite things when I tell them that is instead of snuggle them. I love snuggling with my boys and I wholeheartedly believe the Father enjoys snuggling us. That it brings so much glory and joy when we rest in Him. When we trust in Him. When we go to Him for Him. Not primary for what He's going to do for us or give us, but for Himself. When you treasure him, like last week, when we celebrate his goodness, when your child in his arms, loving and enjoying the presence of your father. So I'm telling you to put your hope, I'm telling you to snuggle with your father. What I'm telling you is long for it and pursue that intimacy with the father. And you don't create it, but you can make space for it. But if you don't make space for it, I think you sign up for a life of noisy, anxious, frenetic thoughts and worries. Because at the end of the day, you know you're not good enough to do all the things that you say you can do or think you can do or believe you can do better than the Lord. The in the day to have that hubris, to have that confidence in yourself is terrifying because you know who you are. And you haven't you're not batting 100%. You know how you failed. You know how you failed even yourself. You promised something to yourself and you failed again. So to have that confidence in someone like that, to put all your eggs in that basket yourself, is terrifying. It's going to just keep producing those worrisome, fretful fears and anxieties. So make space for it. Make space to snuggle up with the Father and calm your soul in His presence. And parents, can I encourage you to do the same thing? To imitate the Father, that when your kids are struggling or in pain, don't, don't primarily give them toys or a lollipop, but give them yourself. Your presence. It's good for their soul. And it trains them to go to God for God, not for His gifts. Jesus takes this psalm and just puts it in flesh. Matthew 18, he, his disciples come to him and ask him, you know, boldly, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And if you know their track record in the greatness category, they failed 
greatly in the past, <laughs> right? Not knowing what they're asking, not knowing what they're getting into, a uh, l- little, little harsh and angry sometimes, right? Hey, what about these people? You want us to call fire from heaven and kill them, Lord? You want us to do this? Like they turn into Monty Python somehow. It's crazy. What does Jesus say? Well, first, he calls a small child and says, come over here. And have the child in this culture stand among them, among the adults. And he says to disciples with the kid right beside him, truly, I tell you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You're talking about greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'm talking about you won't even get there if you don't turn and become like little children. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. That's why I can say snuggle up in your father's lap because you your call as a person of God, as a child of God, is to be a child of God. Is to become like little children and humble yourself before him and put all your confidence, not in your hubris, not in your actions, not in your past performance, but in the Father. So like Second Chronicles, like the kings, we can come to the Lord and humble ourselves and say, Father, you are righteous. We'll bow down before you and we'll calm our souls because we are trusting in you. Be a humble child, secure in your Father's love. Father, we, we ask that. We ask for that that peace, that contentment. And we also humble ourselves now. Similar to the Israelites looking up to you, walking to you, but, but in spirit bowing down on the walk. Spirit, would you grant us a work where we sense and experience and feel the Father's tender affection for us? Maybe a glimpse outside of our immediate our immediate thoughts or immediate problems and be able to see that you have us that you're for us, that we could see what what and who you are to us. 
Father, you are righteous. You are good. You are holy. You are wise. You are true. You are gracious. Our hope is in you. Amen.